look, I've got stage four Ross one lung cancer. It, it, I can't change that. What I choose to do, I hereby choose to say, I am carrying these tumors for you, the human race. Mm. In order to cure it, we need guinea pigs like me. Okay, I'm a pretty good looking guinea pig. You got to admit. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> a new diagnosis has a way of clarifying the things that are important. We all age, we all get sick, we all die. There's deep meaning to be found in living with a serious illness. There's fun to be had in someone's last days. And there's a lot to be learned from a person whose finish line is in sight. The conversation you're about to hear is about sharing experiences finding what's meaningful, leaving space for sadness, leaning into grief, laughing about absurdities, wondering about the transcendent, and thinking together about an experience that we will all have someday. My name is Cody Huffstedler. I'm a palliative care chaplain in Denver, Colorado, and I interview people who are coming to the end of their life. I have a friend named Andy who's a palliative care physician. In 2019, I was talking to him about this project and he mentioned he had a patient who was living with lung cancer who might be a good fit. He said that this patient named Aaron was doing his best to live well while treating his cancer and that he was also being very thoughtful about death, dying, and life review. I contacted him and started talking to him about a possible interview time. And then the world shut down for a year or two with COVID. But eventually, Aaron contacted me and said that he would really like to do this. I have so much gratitude for Aaron being willing, even excited, to do this. I'm also grateful for anyone who's able to laugh and cry in the same conversation. He is so thoughtful and intent on making this part of his life, the end part, meaningful. Make sure to listen through to the end to hear Aaron reading his poem titled, Ode to Be 79. It's really beautiful. This is Dying to Tell You. Let's let's talk about 1.75 years ago. You were diagnosed. So what happened? How did you how did you find out what what was going on? Were you having trouble breathing? What was going on? So what was happening back in uh, late August 2019? I I was busy, 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 busy. You know, just trying to achieve all my goals, <laughs> and you know. It'd been too long since I'd had a physical, so I just, I scheduled a physical. I remember clearly calling them in mid-August, and I was like, I'd love to get this done right away So because I, I teach, and I kind of want to get move on to the school year. They're like, well, we're pretty booked up. The soonest we can get you is September 6th. Okay. So, so September 6th became the turning point in my life. Yeah. So in late August, I started feeling like when I was trying to breathe in all the way, it wouldn't, I couldn't go all the way. And, you know, it was just one of those things where it's like, it didn't, it didn't knock me down or stop me from living my busy life, but it just, it, it just got worse and worse. And then I noticed I wasn't eating as much and I love to eat. And I was, a, I was a very fit 147 pounds, but cause I played racquetball, like usually twice a week, and then I'd go swimming twice a week, and a little bit of weightlifting. So by early September, I was like, well, it's a good thing I'm going to the doctor. I'm going to ask him about this. Right. So, Did you notice weight loss? If so, it was negligible. You didn't, you didn't notice? No. Maybe I lost a couple pounds. But yeah, I was just like at work when you know I'd be eating lunch in the faculty room and Instead of finishing my lunch, I'd eat half of it. And I was like, well, that's, mm. weird. that's weird. Just not hungry. <laughs> Less hungry. Mm. Yeah. So I go in on September 6th for my physical. And now bear in mind, the, to me, the physical is just a trivial thing. I, I, I've got a racquetball schedule, uh, match scheduled for 1 p noon or 1 p.m., something like that. It's a Friday. I go to the doctor. You do the physical. Towards Somewhere in the physical, I mentioned this problem where I'm like, I can't breathe in all the way. It's weird. Mm. Um, and and he just says, you know, every, everything basically looks good, but I'm concerned. Why don't you get it on your way out the building, get a chest x-ray? Well, it all changed. Yeah. Right there. Right. 
So did it change in your mind already? Or no, was that still no. you were just like, okay, I'm going to do that and go play racket. No, I mean he did an EKG on my heart, and then and then and that 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 came back normal. Yeah. But no, when I got that chest X-ray, I was still Mister Invincible. Yeah. I was I I just walked out that door with my freedom, and I'm part way to my racquetball match, and I get a phone call. It's his doctor. Oh no, kidding! It's my doctor. Wow, that was quick. He says, "Aaron, I'm concerned. I see something on your lung in the X-ray, and I need you, if at all possible, to get it back into one of our other locations today for a CAT scan." Whoa. Yep. So then I get the CAT scan. I'm, I'm. The nervousness is starting to mount. I would think. Yeah. <laughs> So, and then, and then I tell my brother and my dad and they take me out for lunch and they take me to get the CAT scan. And then, you know, these things, just this cascade of events, you can't, you feel like you're losing grip of everything. Like a runaway train. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm sitting there in my dad's living room. Yeah. And we get that phone call. And basically, my doctor, and bear in mind, I didn't even know him that well. He was a new doctor to me. Right. This is your first time. Right. Yeah. And he has to tell me over the phone, and this is at like 5 p.m. on a Friday. He he says, Aaron, um, I got to talk to you about your CAT scan. He says, could you come in? Could you please drive in and see me? And, I, and it was a considerable driving distance, and, and I don't like driving, and it's rush hour on a Friday. Or, I was like, and then I know this is bad. Right. Yeah. If, it, if everything was okay, yeah. I wouldn't ask you to come in. Exactly. Yeah. And and my dad's sitting next to me, and, 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 and so the doctor says, in so many words, I see a mat, uh, a, what appears to be maybe like a medium-sized tumor in your left lung. I see multiple tumors on your liver. So I was like, okay. You know, the first thing I think of is my mom. She died of colon cancer, yeah. metastasized to the liver. Yeah. So I instantly feel like my mom. And I'm sitting in the couch where my mom used to sit, but she died four years ago of colon cancer. So yeah, it was pretty devastating. And I was ever all on the same day? Same day. A lot can occur in one day. Yeah. Yeah. Your whole life, your, and little did I know my whole outlook on life. And I, cause I claim to be a spiritual cosmic thinker. My whole outlook on life in the universe started to change on that day. Mm. Okay. Now get this. My dad, he takes me or I bump into him in the hallway later or just i don't know five minutes later after i paced around and he hugs me and he says aaron i wish it was me yeah okay okay i'm good yeah yeah it's it's good it's good to tell the story yeah i haven't totally done this before except on the written page a little bit yeah yeah man so that day, everything changed. And I, I mean, what do you do from there when you get a call? You get a call at the end of the week on a Friday evening saying that you have cancer, presumably. Um, there's no biopsy, right? So, um, but what do you do at that point? I mean, well, how, how, first of all, like, how do you go to sleep that night? I, I didn't sleep well for a few weeks or even a month. I it, it took a while to get the right medicines to make yeah. me help yeah. me sleep. Partially, I got through it with my dad and my and my fiance. Okay. Uh, at that time, my my partner, my girlfriend. Yeah. I I had that double column of support. Now I also have brothers and sisters in law with throughout the the metro area within my own city of Denver so that helped but I remember too like I just didn't want to be alone so yeah I would sleep with my dad yeah wow wow and mm. you know you don't 
And when I look back on it, it's like, you know, I'd, I'd always sleep with my dad in the past if like the traveling circumstances dictated. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd sleep, but, and then I, 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 I found myself staying away from my girlfriend mm. and, and she called me on that. And, and it took me a while to realize I had, mm-hmm. I had this shame, like, please don't look at me like this. Mm-hmm. I don't want you to see me like this. I'm a broken man. Yeah. Physically. When you say like this, what do you, what do you mean? What do you, so I, at this, by this point, I'm experiencing a lot of back pain, uh, liver tumors, depending on where they're located, cause all kinds of pain. And for me, it was in the back. Um, I, I had actually quite a minimal tumor burden in the lungs. I had no nothing in the right lung, and the left lung I had some, you know, I had some problems, but <laughs> they weren't as bad as the liver, as I recall. Yeah, I had a metastasis to the right femur bone and to a few ribs. Okay, I could, I would never have known. But yeah. they said you you must stop playing racquetball. You 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 could easily break, break your right leg, mm-hmm. and it would be the most excruciating pain. Yeah. And then even after we zap your leg with with uh, targeted radiation, you still must lay off the racquetball. Wow. So I just stuck to swimming. Yeah. Um, yeah. So fast forward a few weeks, I get the, the official diagnosis via a liver biopsy. Yep. And it's uh, stage four non-small cell lung cancer adenocarcinoma okay now what takes unfortunately oh, too long to determine is that i have what's called ross one driven lung cancer ross one lung cancer is very rare only about one percent of all lung cancer diagnoses are ross one and bear in mind lung cancer is the most common cancer in the united states and in the world lung cancer is the number one killer amongst cancers in the united states and in the world so once i'm told that i have ross one if this is good news right so yeah you might you might say a little bit more about that because i I think that's important for people to hear yeah so you might assume oh well it's super rare it must be bad news well actually no it's good news uh the only unfortunate thing is it took them a while to figure that out because in the meantime they put me on three rounds of dreadful dreadful chemotherapy and immunotherapy that in the final analysis that those therapies didn't even really do much good they they shrunk the tumors somewhat but what needed to be done and what i'm trying to get the word out there on is any any lung cancer i'm not going to speak for other types but any lung cancer diagnosis should be followed up immediately with biomarker testing. Mm. And in my case, it was kind of fumbled and bumbled and it delayed me. It delayed my chances of getting on the drugs that were really best for me. Okay. Now, if you're, especially if you're middle-aged, non-smoker like me and female, unlike me, If you're those three and your doctor's telling you you have stage four lung cancer, there's a there's a darn good chance you harbor a, what we call a genetic mutation. And that's what ROS1 is. There's others that are more common, EGFR, ALK. Those are more common genetic mutations. Gotcha. So you started out on, on chemotherapy and then eventually to these new experimental drugs, right? How, how long did it take you to start chemotherapy? And then how long did it take you to get on the experimental drugs? It took about a month to get me on chemo. So I was, you know, diagnosed early September, started chemo early October. Okay. Um, did chemo three rounds, nine weeks. That takes you through about almost the end of November. Now, Towards the end of the three rounds of chemo, we find out what what I had been suspecting all along. I'm either going to be ROS1, EGFR, or ALK. And I I really butted heads with my oncology team on like, we got, could we hurry up and figure this out and make, because I was, the chemo was so horrible, I just wanted to die. 
I, I, at one point I said to my brother, and I wasn't even necessarily kidding. I said, would you just please throw me off a cliff? <laughs> yeah. I don't want to live because here's what they tell you. They say, okay, well, we've got you scheduled. Don't worry. We've got you scheduled for chemo and immuno and every three weeks. And I, and they give me the printout. It was like every three weeks at infinitum. Yep. So when you hand a cancer patient who's, who's like, how the hell did I get lung cancer in the first place? Mm. You hand them this printout saying, okay, you're going to be, and it looked like I was going to be doing this for two or three years, every three weeks. After two, after two treatments, I wanted my brother to throw me off a cliff. Right. Uh, chemo is hard. So, so we get the good news. You're Ross one. Okay, cool. What do we do now? Well, first you got to wash out, meaning just three weeks of no drugs, which is tough because all lung cancers are aggressive. Okay. You know, during that washout, the cancers having a party, they're like, oh, we can go back to doing our, what we do best. So I finally, like a beached whale, show up on the land of Krizatinib. Changed everything. Get your head down. I will tell you. Keep your head up. Chrysotinib is a pill that, that knows how to find the ROS1 gene and knows how to disable what's going on there with the protein in that gene. Okay, that's my understanding of it. I won't get into any more scientific sure. yeah. stuff than that. I start taking ROS1 mid-December, and first of all, it's way better than chemo because virtually no side effects. I had a few I had to deal with, but virtually none. And then the incredible thing, it works. <laughs> Imagine that. Huh? What a relief after three rounds of chemo immuno. Right. Okay, so I go in for my next scan. I'll never forget it. March 10th, right? It was right before the uh, COVID-19 pandemic hit and we everything changed. I go in for the scan. All traces of the cancer were gone. Wow. It was like a miracle. Wow. It, I mean, they said, they said, there are microscopic evidence of cancer, but we're declaring you right now almost cancer-free, but we know ROS1 is still lurking in there. Right. It's in your system because you're stage four. It got into your lymph nodes. So don't go and party just yet or ever. <laughs> that was a good line. Was, uh, <laughs> don't ever party. <laughs> um, I'm curious about... Uh, I imagine it changed right when you when you got your new drug, but when when you were first given your diagnosis, or maybe when you were talking about doing chemotherapy, what was the discussion about prognosis, and what were they? What did you talk about? What was the hope of the chemotherapy? So, if you just go like if you if you're a slave to Google and you just Google stage four lung cancer survival rate. Blah, 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 blah. You know, first of all, don't do that. Don't do it. <laughs> it's terrible. Yeah. <laughs> but if you do that, and if you did it back in 2019, like I did, <laughs> it's probably going to tell you average survival rate, six to 12 months. Yeah. And then I, uh, now I quickly debunked that because I started meeting other lung cancer survivors and they were telling, they, they gave me hope. They gave me faith that, Hey, you've got a, you've got a little while you could live and let's try to make it even longer than that. Because look at us. Did, um, now did, did your oncologist or any of your doctors talk to you about prognosis? Here's the thing. My mom died of stage four lung, uh, stage four colon cancer. She survived past her diagnosis about three and a half years. I kind of got to know the world of oncology there and the, the, the nomenclature, the customs and the do's and don'ts, all that. I refuse to ask an oncologist that. Unless I think, okay, we're running out of treatments. It looks like I'm going to die soon. Then maybe I'd ask him. But early on or midway through, look, I love my current oncologist and 
A, I wouldn't want to put them on the spot like that. I don't think it's fair. Mm. New medicines are coming in all the time. New tr clinical trials are popping up all over the country mm -hmm. all the time. Gotcha. So A, it would just be dumb and unfair to put them on the spot like that. And then B, even if you gave an answer, it would, it, it would be, I bet it would be ambiguous and, 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 you know, and it wouldn't really give you anything to hang your hat on. Sure. The, the reason that, um, that I under, understand that people want to know, and it makes sense to me why people would want to know is one, um, do I have a prognosis? Meaning, uh, is this something that I'm going to die from or could die from? And two, um, is my life going to be shorter than what I had anticipated, right? If I'm 50 years old and I had planned on living to be 80 or so, um, do I have a little bit shorter time? <laughs> should I should I be planning differently? Um, was there a point at which you knew or thought, hey, this is, this is uh, shortening my life expectancy? Okay, so, so that, that's what I would call, for me, it's the Ross One roller coaster. Yeah. So when I was on crizotinib and all the tumors just magically disappeared in two months, just from take, swallowing a pill every day, I thought, wow, I could really stick around a while. Now, when I unfortunately suffered disease progression and had found myself by the August of 2020 with 10 brain tumors and uh, resurging tumors in my liver... I pumped the brakes on the idea of living longer. Gotcha. Did you know when uh, you were diagnosed with lung cancer with metastases to the liver that this is something that's not going to be cured forever? Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, from day one, I was like, okay. You knew. So, I'm going to die of lung cancer. Um, it's just going to be, can I, do I have the courage and strength and access to the right doctors and medicines to get it to the point where li living with stage four, stage four cancer is like just living with a chronic condition. Mm -hmm. uh, yes, you will most likely die of that, but you can live out a pretty long life or who knows, maybe even a very long life, but it's something you would just always have to manage. You'd have to take take a pill every day or do a chemo every now and then or whatever. I don't know. But yeah. Okay. One of the kind of the mindfulness practices that I've been working on recently is noticing uh well do you have you ever read Eckhart Tolle do you know who Eckhart Tolle is he's a spiritual teacher doesn't matter um but he says something to the effect of uh you know why why do I spend my time wishing that things aren't how they are and so I find that's one of the kind of the mindfulness practices that I've been working on is um noticing when I am wishing that things aren't <laughs> and um, like even on the way over here uh, driving and all the traffic has stopped and I'm wishing that the traffic wasn't stopped and like how is that helping me you know <laughs> and um, so I, I am a chaplain in the hospital I, I see people right after they've gotten their diagnoses um, and and along the way at various points. And um, there's a huge difference between somebody who has uh, come to a realization and an acceptance of the fact that they have cancer <laughs> and they're working on what you're talking about, which is living with cancer, versus somebody who uh, is wishing that it wasn't. And um, I don't know, maybe maybe it was your experience with your mom and your not foreknowledge of oncology generally that helped you kind of accept that from the beginning. Maybe you didn't accept it from the beginning and maybe we can talk about that. But at least you had a mental knowledge, maybe not an existential knowledge of what all that means. But it sounds like you knew that from the beginning and that maybe, maybe there was a 
uh, a benefit to you because then you could get to the work of figuring out how you want to live, you know, whatever life you have left and how you want to live it. Well, uh, you, you just made some great profound points and I want to just, just to, uh, explore a couple of those. Yeah. I remember I did a lot of journal writing and still do, uh, along with my poetry writing. One journal entry I had in the, uh, somewhere around December, 2019. So we're approaching like my first Christmas and new year's with lung cancer. I remember writing and then telling this to my dad and choking back tears, something to the effect of dad, there's a fine line between acceptance and resignation. Hmm. Wow. And what I meant by that was everyone wants you to accept it. Just accept this is just the way it is. Okay. Okay. But then I felt if I was accepting it, I was resigning myself to, okay, he's evil stage four cancer is killing you. Right. Yeah. So then I do look back on my mom and when she was diagnosed with stage four colon cancer, I remember being very upset, very, very like resentful and wanting to, wanting, you know, wanting to pinpoint just which doctor screwed this up. It's, you know, you want a scapegoat. Oh, absolutely. And, and yeah. sometimes, you know, maybe legally there really is a scapegoat. <laughs> maybe so. <laughs> but my mom was like, Aaron, let it go. Yeah. And that meant so much to me. Yeah. because you know i've just habitually had a hard time in life letting things go and now all of a sudden you know first you lose your mom and then and then you thought well huh you know i i i was i was kind of kind of upset that my mom didn't live a longer life she died at 74 so i thought to myself well i'm certainly gonna outlive my mom by golly, I'm going to, you know, her mom lived to be 88. My guy, and I got a little cocky there. I was like, my goal's 90. And then I got really, <laughs> then I got really cocky. No, a hundred. And I would say this to my partner. She and I would, we're going to live to be a hundred because she's a year younger than me. We're, we're, we're going to do, look at us. We eat vegan. We always, ex, I'm always bouncing off some treadmill and doing you know, backflips in the pool. I mean, I look at me, look at me. And then it's like, guess what, buddy? Yeah. <laughs> One of my favorite things to say, and I don't know if this is helpful, but there's no justice when it comes to cancer. It just happens. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, absolutely. And so I do, I do channel my mom when I catch myself being that like you I like how you described when you're stuck in traffic and you're yeah. like, why can't, why does this have to be this way? Right. <laughs> and I, so here's what I do. And the Buddhist thought has helped me. I've listened to some Buddhist podcasts uh, and, 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 and done some reading. And what I like from them is this idea that, look, I've got stage four Ross one lung cancer. It, it, I can't change that. What I choose to do, I hereby choose to say, I am carrying these tumors for you, the human race. Mm. I am a, I love my oncologist. I love my nurses. I love the, everyone I've been dealing with lately, I love. And that's another Buddhist thing. I love everything I'm looking at right now. I love that coffee cup. I love, uh, I love that cable on the floor. Oh my gosh, I even love like those little specks on the ceiling. Back to my point. Yeah, I am carrying these tumors uh, 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 with some panache, with maybe even an ounce of pride. Why? Twofold. A, we are, we are making great strides to curing. Ross one cancer. And if we're curing Ross one, we're also curing ALK and, and all these other genetic mutations. Okay. So in order to cure it, we need guinea pigs like me. Okay. I'm a pretty good looking guinea pig. You got to admit. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, I guess I didn't quite trim my hair the right way for me. <laughs> 
for Cody here. Okay. Anyways, it was on my type. Sorry. <laughs> Anyways, back to my point. Yeah. I'm not only am I doing that, I am on a mission because a year ago I had no mission, but I found it over the course of the year and writing poetry helped. My mission is other th besides helping these great minds cure Ross one is to destigmatize death. Great. How will I do that? It's, I got my work cut out for me. What I'm doing is, obviously, in my poetry, I am I'm addressing death head on in some of these poems. Yeah. Okay. Look, I fear death like every most everyone probably does. Yeah. But this process of dealing with stage four cancer, I found that I have to confront my death much more than your average forty nine year old otherwise healthy person or any forty nine year old would. I'm I'm getting a little preachy now when I just talk to people if it if it comes yeah. up yeah and now what I can tell them with tangible explicit intent a in the Colorado we have the uh, death with dignity uh, yeah. end of life mm -hmm. end of life doctor assisted end of life I've already jumped through the hoops to get that in place in case I want it yeah I'm not sure I want it I want that option why. I watched my 33-year-old friend die of testicular cancer. It was not pleasant yeah. for him or for anybody else. I watched my 74-year-old mother die of stage four cancer. It was not pleasant for her or anybody else. I want to die on my terms. I don't want the cancer to kill me. Will the cancer lead to my death? 99% sure on that. Okay? Sure. When we reach this, the stage of hospice, who knows? It could be six months. It could be four months. It could be a year. It could be five years. It could be eight years. When we reach the stage of hospice, I've already pre-planned how I want to die. <laughs> sorry. Yeah, it's all right. I want to have what I'm calling just, for now I'm just calling it, it's a working title. Festival of the Soul. This will be a series of live events. Who knows how many? Maybe just two or three, maybe four or five over the course of four or five weeks. When I know where I'm getting to the end mm. of life in this body. At that point, we will start the live events because they will already have been at least, at least moderately well pre-planned. Each event will have a theme. The first one will be like, the first five years of my life, the nurturing I got from my wonderful mother, the, you know, the, the affection I got from my wonderful father, poems will be read, music will be played, and then little storytelling segments where people who, who were there or who are, maybe they could be a little removed, but know enough to tell the anecdote of my life. Yeah. Bear in mind, I'm dying during all this. So I, how much I'm involved, I don't know. Yeah. But I just picture, of course, I'm doing this for myself. Who wouldn't? I mean, but maybe it's for them too, because it's maybe a way for them to say goodbye. Of course. To this wor earthly existence. I picture myself being comforted, being sad, but also supported in, in making the next step to what I call the ether. Okay. So. So you go through these series of events. Now, when we, I've said, I want to live stream the last event. And um, I say that not to be an exhibitionist, but because I have friends all around the world and some of them might want to tune in. Sure. You know, and, and if others don't, I don't mind. Yeah. If that's a little too weird or creepy, but I'm trying to make it not weird and creepy. Yeah. I'm trying, here's what I'm trying to do. Look, they always say, there are only two things you can be certain of, death and taxes. Okay, well, hear me out on this. If people really believe that, and everyone's always saying it, why do people there and then turn around and and do all these things to fix up the taxes to make it look better? Every year. Yeah, every gotta, year. To fix this loophole. I got to get a guy to do my taxes every year. 
That's great. That's a great analogy, though, yeah. isn't it? Because but you don't do anything about death. Exactly. Right. So I'm, t- I'm trying to tell people, do something about death. You know what's coming. Now, now, look, I don't want to get, I don't want to be Debbie Downer and be like, okay, 25-year-olds, you better do what I'm doing. But hey, I didn't know I was going to get stage four cancer at age 47. Right. Point and nine. there's a, a teacher named Ram Dass. His, uh, his thing about death is that there, there's no failure. There's no failure in death. Death is not a failure. There's no, nothing wrong, right? We all do it. And um, there's nothing wrong with doing it. Yeah. I, I think that if you're talking to a 25-year-old about death, you, you obviously don't want to be a downer, right? I don't, want to, I don't want people running around worried about death all the time. But um, part of that stigma is that we have to be worried about it. We don't have to be worried about it. It's going to happen. <laughs> There's nothing to worry about. It's going to happen. And, um, you know, if we're lucky and see it coming, then we can s- decide how to do it. Yeah. Um, and if I may p- point out, yeah. and th- this is not to be judgmental in any way, but I've I just noticed with my parent, my mom, her f- her friends in general, Not I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm generalizing here, so yeah. it's not fair, but I've just noticed a tendency of people... Who, who just, they just didn't seem equipped to handle death. So my mom's dying in the back bedroom in her bed. And v- first of all, very few people came. So right off the bat, or even reached out and said, hey, could we come? And because she died over the st- a long stretch, like two or three months. Mm-hmm. And uh, I haven't asked these people, but I can deduce. And I did hear some, you know, through the grapevine, I heard that, some people just can't handle it. Yep. They just, you know, but the, here's the thing. Back to death and taxes. If you're going to take all this time and energy and thought into making the best out of your taxes, why wouldn't you make the best out of your death? Sure. And furthermore, you hear people all the time saying, ah, oh, best day of my life. Well, it's tough. It would either be my wedding day or the day my f- first child was born or uh, you know whatever <laughs> or the day I landed that perfect job or whatever but how come no one ever says put or, or puts their death day up on the pedestal like that yeah and that's what I'm doing I'm putting it on a pedestal you only get to do it once unless maybe you, you know you're a certain religion that thinks otherwise as far as i know we only do it once that's what i think yeah you only do it once and others can may disagree but you do it once do it right do it with a sense of i don't know elation or cosmic possibilities because i i really do believe i'll be back with my mom as soon as i pass on when we reach the final event meaning and I could declare on any given night, uh, like the third f- installment is the night, or the fourth, or the fifth, or maybe we push it to six. But some night I will declare, okay, this is the night. And and the, thankfully, I live in a state where you're, where you have considerably more freedom. I have the freedom to invoke the doctor-assisted end of life. And if I choose to drink that lethal potion my thought was how powerful to live stream it on the internet Mm. because then hopefully by now my word is spread even beyond my friends but and again some people may judge it or think it's unethical or immoral or kooky then I will have made each person who witnesses or hears about it start to value their own death a little more mm. and start to put it on a pedestal like I did right. and to say, hey, look, it's not ugly. It's not gruesome. Certainly some deaths, unfortunately, are gruesome. But And that's where I think stage four cancer, though at first it seemed such a curse. Why me? Mm. It's turned paradoxically into a blessing. Yeah. And and when I drink that potion, now I don't know this for sure because I don't know what state my body will be in. 
where where the tumors will be located. Or I picture myself in the lap of a couple of different people, and you know that's most likely I wouldn't be. Most likely I'd be on a bed or you know. Yeah. But I want to die. I want to die with my loved ones, with my cherished partner by my side, and perhaps even somewhat curled on her lap and somebody else's lap. And, you know, I know it's kind of unorthodox to say the least. Yeah. But I'm trying to reimagine death as we commonly think of it in this country and most of the world, I would, I would imagine. Yeah. I like that. You said, uh, what seemed to be, uh, a curse at the beginning, this metastatic stage four cancer the question, why me? I hear that all the time. Um, and you, you've turned it into something different, a gift and you didn't change anything about the cancer. You didn't change anything about the situation. All you changed was your outlook on the situation. I think that is so powerful and I hope people hear that. And, um, it doesn't have to be death. It, it can be anything, <laughs> any, any situation that we find ourselves in. Um, I think most situations that we find ourselves in, we have the ability to take, take and change um, our, our outlook on them. Absolutely. And just to build on that, you, you, we choose our mindset Okay, so if you let your mind just run away, we're all guilty of this. Our mind can just run away. I'm stuck in traffic. Oh, that jerk in front of me is the whole reason I'm stuck in traffic. Oh, I hate his bumper stickers. You know, and then and then and then from your mindset flow your emotions. So next thing you know, you feel bad. Yep. Okay. Yep. Now, if you can, like you were saying, change the outlook. I'm stuck in traffic. Oh, but isn't that a pretty tree over there? Or that car next to me is an interesting model. I've never seen one of those. I, I might buy one of those. Then your feelings change. Suddenly you start having good feelings. If I'm, if I've got these darn tumors growing through the liver, I'm barely gasping for air because I've got them in both lungs. I've got five more up in the brain. Right by the way, right now I have two in my brain, and I seem to be doing fine. Right, you're doing all right. Okay, and. I, I change that mindset. I'm laying on that deathbed, that quote unquote deathbed. It's always so dreadful and gruesome, right? Right. First of all, I'm going to change deathbed because that has too many connotations. <laughs> <laughs> it's more like a departure bed. Okay. I, I mean, no, that's cheesy. I'm going to come up with something better. All right. But that is a holy sacred place. I'm not going to let anyone make it sound sad or bad or dreadful. Yeah. Okay. So if my mindset... As I lay dying, whether I drink the potion or just die of natural causes, either way, I'm going to die real soon, right? In that scenario, my mindset is this is beautiful. Can be. My wife is here. I'm, my brothers are here. My dad is here. My dad's partner is here. My, I hope my nephew or niece is here, both nephews. I don't know if they'll be old enough. We're listening to Dvorak's Eighth Symphony. I'm already in heaven. Yeah. So go ahead, man. Go ahead, take me. Well, you brought up heaven. <laughs> so, um, that's, uh, I, I'm just curious whenever I talk to somebody who's, who's coming to the end of their life. Um, I, I don't claim to know where, what happens. Do I just, does it just like, I like to think of my life as a movie. I've been watching this movie and it's been pretty darn interesting despite some boring parts and if I just think of it that way, 
you could think like, oh, the movie's just going to end and there's no credits rolling. You're just, it's black and then you start, the worms start doing their <laughs> work. <laughs> you become worm food. All right. But on the other hand, you have heaven. As I was taught what heaven is as a Catholic boy, I honestly, I don't have much to hang my hand on there. So mm -hmm. I'm, I'm kind of... I'm going with the idea that nature is where I'm at peace, even though I've been a city dweller most of my human life. I hope to be in nature when I die. If I can't pull that off, okay, fine. Denver, <laughs> Denver will do. Okay. And then, so what I also feel like I'm doing, I'm making this up as I go. I, right. You've never done this before. I've never done this before. And I don't, and now look, I'm sure there are precedents out there that I could go consult and study and the best way to plan your death mm. in the unorthodox tradition would be, no, I, maybe I'll run into someone who's doing this or read about someone who's doing something similar, but I'm really just enjoying making it up. Yeah. Why not? And so I don't really have this vision of heaven other than once my favorite hike I ever did in Colorado, it was in Northern Colorado, uh, not far from the Wyoming border. I want to say it was Raywan National Forest. And my, my friend and I were hiking. We got, we camped out the night before and we hiked and hiked and it was mid September. So it was still nice and warm enough, but that, mm, that crisp feel in the autumn air just starting to creep in and we got, and we, and we're sweating and we're like, oh, I we went four hours, almost five hours up. And then we're like, I think this is the, the end. I don't think we're going to see anything much more than this. And then magically this hiker coming down the other way. And he, he, he saw that we were about to turn around and he's like, if you could just make it a little further, I saw a moose up there. <laughs> we're just like, oh, well, we got to do that. Right. So we keep going now. The result is we never find the moose. Maybe the moose saw us, but what we did find was this glorious pasture where it was like, I still have this image of it in my mind and maybe I'm embellishing it, but you know, in a state full of beautiful scenes, that one like just really stood out to me also because I always felt like, oh, Northern Colorado is not quite as beautiful as Southern Colorado. They have more spectacular stuff. And I was a little jealous of them because I grew up in the North. Well, guess what? There's some spectacular stuff that's off the beaten path and it was just glorious. And so that's my vision of heaven. When I, I reach that meadow, mm. you know, I always remind myself that. Mm. And I have that image to hold on to. Did we take pictures of it? No. So what, you know, did we post it on Twitter or Facebook? No, <laughs> who cares? <laughs> I'm dealing with something way beyond Twitter or Facebook. This is, I'm dealing with cosmic possibilities. Mm -hmm. Okay. That's where I, that's heaven to me. And then I will reunite with my mom and many others. Yeah. So I've had a few people tell me either that, they um that they believe that they'll be around to to watch and participate and to see things and this is um comforting to them in that they're they're not going to be gone from their loved ones right um and so after you die if you're around and can come say hi if, if you see me and you and you want to reach out and, and say hi in some way. My feeling on that, I will gladly say hi. I will be locked in with good vibrations. So granted, maybe I only know you for a very brief period of time, Cody. We've already got good vibrations. So <laughs> you you have a pretty good chance of me saying hi. All right. For someone who you barely know. Right. And then and then and the people I really know, even if they don't get to be near me towards the end of my life, I know I know with whom I maintain good vibrations. There you go. Okay? Like it. So like there it. you go. Those people are more likely to receive a hi. All right. Okay. Oh, to be 79. 
diagnosed at 48, cancer stage 4, can't live anymore. Well, life is for the living. One week later, birthday 4-9, can't speak without crying, first brain MRI. What did I aim for this life to be? Remind yourself, replenish your mind. Oh right, an elder of the block. He teaches the young, short stories well spun, with all the live long day, to play any way. Who is this man of seven nine? I'll never know. I so wanted to know. He'd sit by his wife, reflect on the life that they shared and dared to live. Aaron died on July 19, 2021, at 9.20 p.m. His wife, Tiffany, his brother, David, and his best friend, Bridget, were by his side. I knew when I learned that Aaron had died that anyone who heard this podcast would want to know that and would want to know if he was able to have his festival of the soul. One thing I know about living with a serious illness is that it doesn't always stay on script. Things change quickly and unexpectedly sometimes, and this was the case with Aaron. I spoke with Tiffany and she said that Aaron's lungs started collecting fluid and it started to become difficult for him to communicate, and he was admitted to the hospital. In the hospital, as Aaron was trying to figure out how to proceed, a doctor told him, you're more than your body. It sounds like that was a turning point for Aaron and his family. Aaron found some existential relief from that statement. He was able to rest and get much needed pain medication and spend some time thinking about how to spend what appeared to be his last few days. He contacted people that were important to him and he was able to have a celebration of the soul in the garden of the hospital, really a time for family to share happiness and memories. Aaron went home with the support of a hospice team and spent intentional private time with each of its brother's families. After a week of eating nothing, he ate some fruit salad shortly before he died, and I like to think about how good it would feel to eat after a week and know that Aaron had that feeling just before he died. Tiffany said that Aaron wants people to think happy thoughts about him, and he wants you to know that his life was great, even though it was shorter than he had hoped and planned. Tiffany also said that Aaron would want this interview shared widely. So, in that way, you are fulfilling one of Aaron's last wishes. Thank you for honoring Aaron, and thank you for listening to Dying to Tell You. If you or someone you know is living with a serious illness and would like to share your experience and perspective, please email us at dttypod at gmail.com.